Why, hello all you snobbies out there. Are you ready for the least cacophonous episode of Film Snobs you've ever heard? Well, you better be. <laughs> Buckle up. It's going to be as good as it gets because Caleb Zier and Ethan Hasso went on a road trip to Florida for a NAVS event. Ricky Wickham is in Portland hanging out with some friends, so it's just me, Eric, oh, yeah. and we're sharing a microphone. You hear that crackling? That's fire. That's fire crackling. Because <laughs> this is Fireside Chats with Jared and Eric. And we're here to talk about not one thing, but three things. Uh, let's get right into it. What did we watch? Um, I watched some things today, but what are we What are we discussing? We got, uh, we got a trilogy of things going on. We got a short film, we got an indie, and then we've got a blockbuster. So uh, in celebration of Taylor Swift's release of, uh, re-release of Red uh, that she recorded, we're going to be talking about the All Too Well music video, The Elephant in the Room. We'll probably address that first. And then we're going to move on to Netflix's uh, Passing, directed by Rebecca Hall, starring Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega. And we will talk about... A lot of things with that, probably, because that movie is bomb. One of the best movies I've seen this year. Uh, and then the third thing we're talking about is, finally, a Marvel movie that I like. It is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Something like that. And Austin P. Johnson's walking by. He told me he's going to go get a winter coat at Eddie Bauer today. So I hope that goes well. All too well. So Hope it goes all too well, Austin. So, Eric, uh, what do you think of Taylor? Did you know about this all too well uh, mythic fan lore surrounding the 10-minute version? I didn't. Um, I think that... I think the first thing I saw on that was when Caleb sent it in the text. And he was like, I bet I know what you guys are going to be discussing on your fireside chat. And I was like, man, I don't get told to do nothing. <laughs> But it's a good idea. So I hadn't heard about it. No, no. Um, so what's what's going on? Is it just the music video? Is it more songs that she's re-releasing or what? So on Friday, she re-recorded Red so that she can get the rights back to her music. Um, and as a part of this re-release, uh, she is including demos and some re-recordings of songs that she had during that era that never got released. So she recorded a duet with Chris Stapleton, one with Phoebe Bridgers, and uh, Lexi... Love Phoebe Bridgers. Love Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah, we love Phoebe. Um, and Lexi has known about this for years. Apparently, um, All Too Well, which is her favorite song of Taylor Swift ever, and is apparently a favorite of many millennial women out there. They love the song, All Too Well, off of Red. And I say, Mirabal is the best Taylor Swift song <laughs> or evermore, but nope, you guys say All Too Well. She's had a 10-minute version, and her record label initially was like, that's too long, we can't have a 10-minute version on the album. And so there's been this this myth behind, When's it, is it ever going to get released and now that she's been able to re-record her music here it is and i would say it's a far superior version of the song mm. yeah i mean it plays out like a narrative for sure like it feels sort of like a folk song almost like you know it's weaving a a story with you know two people and um i'm guessing this was a completely true story that happened to her apparently this is documenting the end of her uh short fiery relationship with Jake Gyllenhaal. Really? Gyllenhaal. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Um, I don't know. It This this short kind of played out like a Hallmark film almost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just, I'm not. That, that's maybe my favorite thing you've ever said. <laughs> that, I, was, I didn't have that thought and that makes so much sense. <laughs> I mean, it was not great. It was like, it was okay. I mean, like, I get what she was trying to do. And she's, you know, it's it's kind of a nice thing to, to be like, okay, I want the rights to my songs again. So I'm going to re-record it. I'm going to release all this, like, multimedia. But and she got all these, like, well, she got two... One, uh, a pretty well-known actress who's in Stranger Things and she was in the horror anthology um, 1993, I think. Um, 
what was what was the title of those again? I forget about them as well. Um, but there was like three released. One was um, present day uh, t- or 2017, uh, 1993, and 1973. Oh, she was in the 1973 one or something. Or no, <laughs> I'm getting this so wrong. It was like 1990s. It was 1973, and then one was like in 1666. Um, and she was in the 70s one, and she uh, she did a pretty good job in that i think she was like the best part about it but um yeah she she played in this and uh, another actor that i don't really know as well but i've seen some of his films um but it just i don't know it just played out like a hallmark film with like all these like shots of like previous stuff and and then like with taylor doing like a book reading and like him standing outside in the snow with the scarf and it was just like Hmm. This should be 15 minutes. Like if they made this into a movie, I would be wishing it was 15 minutes. Like it, it's just like, it felt very, I don't know. I don't know. Are these, <laughs> do you have completely different thoughts to me? Because I feel like I'm, I'm having like a pretty negative thought here about this. <laughs> no, it's funny. Austin Johnson, um, okay, he watched it as well. He walked by, he, I told him we were discussing it and he's like, yeah, halfway through, I was just kind of bored. Um, <laughs> I think it's actually shot pretty well. I love the fall leaf stuff. Um, for those of you listening who haven't seen it yet, I'm going to spoil it. So get over it. Um, basically it's like shots of, uh, the Taylor Swift and Jake Gyllenhaal standouts falling in love. Then uh, they're at a party. They're or before like all all kinds of shots of falling in love, like playing cards and going on walks and making out while the camera spins around them. And then there's um, a party where uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is hanging with his friends, and uh, the Taylor Swift character feels ignored. And then it uh, does an interesting thing where there is a break in the music in this 10 minute version and there's like this really heated argument where she's upset that uh he wasn't paying enough attention to her and he's upset that she couldn't understand he wanted to hang out with his friends and they're just not on the same page and if this is anything about how it played out in real life i'd say both of them in the words of a taylor swift song you just need to calm down how did you know that that's what was going on in that scene though like they they didn't really have they didn't like the song was playing over their argument and so you just did you read their lips during that whole thing or no during the argument they there was actual dialogue there was oh okay <laughs> did you not watch it all the way through I, no, I, de- <laughs> I definitely did i definitely did oh god that's not high praise um no i i th- i th- uh, i thought they had like an argument and it was like they were just mouthing their argument, but uh, there, there was a moment of that, but there was also a break where they had this big argument and that's what it was about. Okay. And then there's like a breakup and, and Taylor Swift's sad and then she writes a book and then it looks like she makes money off the book documenting her relationship, which has a parallel to her real life because she wrote the song and it's a big hit. Um, I thought the kind of, I thought the book ending was kind of, it didn't really hit for me. No. Yeah. I think the, 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 the book is, basically a parallel to her music it's like she does this with not you know like someone can like write a story about their life in a book it's like she does that with her songs like that's basically the same thing in my opinion so yeah um fun fact as of this moment uh like three days after it's released uh it is the number one film rated on letterbox at a 4.8 because all the swifties are going and reviewing it uh what do you think about that i saw that at the time it was four six it's four eight now i might have been exaggerating i gave it a i think i gave it a three just because i'm like yeah it is kind of music videos nothing special um i will say that this 10 minute version of the song is far superior to the original in my humble opinion i love the outro of this song specifically i'm gonna say the lyric where the song changes to its peak i'm gonna i looked it up right when it says i still remember the first fall of snow right after that it's peak taylor music vibes really okay um i looked it up uh it is a four five um in terms of letterbox that's very high i mean it's basically a four eight um there's not many things that are that um highly rated um yeah i'm gonna give it a three two because 
why the hell not um i just i just like i don't have i don't have much it's very middling for me i i don't and and this typically happens with swifties they they've rated her um uh the the uh the doco where she was in her like house with her producer and and a musician that's really highly rated this is really highly rated um yeah, uh, I just didn't think there were that many uh, Taylor Swift fans on Letterboxd, to be honest. I, I didn't think that that um, group of people um, gravitated towards this kind of thing. But um, yeah, I think I think overall, I think the Letterboxd uh, rating does not reflect um, kind of what's going on there. It's good, but it's not like amazing. It's not like, this is the best short film of all time. Like, really? Come on, guys. <laughs> like, what's going on? Yeah, Taylor, for those of you listening, Taylor Swift did write and direct this. Um, so, Taylor, if you're listening, we appreciate your music. Keep doing what you do. Yeah. Keep keep making visuals because this looked very good. It may not have um, wowed us to the extreme that Passing did, but it was solid. Solid music video. Uh, I'm going to give you my favorite line just because it's so funny. <laughs> because uh, she's talking about, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal. And this song will maybe change what you think about him. I don't know. Up to you. I haven't heard his side, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make any assumptions. But she says, "And I was never good at telling jokes, but the punchline goes, I'll get older, but your lovers stay my age." Ooh. <laughs> Jake, we know you're 40 and you're dating the younger women. Um, and that Taylor was younger and you're dating her too. I don't. I don't know if there's. It's just a punchline, Taylor said. I'm not going to comment on it. I just think that's a funny line. How old? How, do you know what the age difference was when they were dating? It was something like she was like 19 or 20 and he was 30 because there's that line about him not showing up to her birthday party at 21 and she's crying and her dad's like, isn't it supposed to be fun turning 21? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's I think it was a, a, a bold choice to have. Um, I think the actors in this are like, 10 or 12 years uh, apart from each other. Um, she's fairly young. She's like 19. Um, I think he's in his early 30s. Um, so, yeah, I think that that was kind of a... a and then I guess he put a beard on because Hall maybe had a beard during that time. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I don't, I, I just never followed any of that kind of stuff, so I, I know nothing of the drama. I know nothing of her past lovers. Like, when they hear, like this song and it's talking about Harry Styles. I'm like, Oh cool. I, I don't know. It could be talking about anyone for all I know. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of an interesting, interesting thing that, that lyric is, uh, harsh. <laughs> it is very harsh. I also did not know any of that stuff, but I have been informed in the past week of, among all the hullabaloo around red and it's, a, uh, it's all right. Um, it's all right. I feel like I had one more thought, but I can't even, remember what it was oh yeah jake if you're listening return the scarf dude (laughs) either there's two things going on taylor's lying about you keeping the scarf or you've got it and if you've got it return it and if you don't let the people know you don't got it it's okay it's at his sister's house maggie maggie we want to see the lost daughter we know it's coming out on netflix soon and that it's your directorial debut maggie gyllenhaal if you've got the scarf send it back to taylor (laughs) Agreed. <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't have any other thoughts, dude. <laughs> all to all the music videos, see it now on YouTube. Fun fact about all everything we're reviewing today. You can see it for free if you have the correct streaming service. YouTube is free, so you can go watch it right now. Now moving on. Uh, the year is... Which one do you want to do next? I don't know. I was about to, I was about to say, like, which, which one do you feel like you want to land on? I think we, 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 oh, 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 we, let's, uh, let's talk, about, let's talk about the passing. Let's talk about passing. Let's go passing because then we can end with the blockbuster Shang-Chi, which most people want to hear about. Uh, let's, let's move back to the 1920s. It's New York City. Uh, it's Brooklyn. And there's a woman who is a light skinned black woman and she lives in the city and she comes across an old friend at a restaurant and she says wow my friend looks pale and as she's looking at her friend she's talks to her later and then finds out that her friend is passing as a white woman uh thus the title and then what happens as it goes on she meets uh this woman's husband 
um, who is white and he thinks his wife is white. Um, and then this woman who is now passing is white, played by Ruth Nega. Her name is uh, Claire. Uh, Claire keeps trying to insert herself into Tessa Thompson, Irene's life, um, because she misses her culture and she misses that life. And I just want to say right up front, Eric and I do not want to be canceled by anything we say uh, discussing this movie. It is very ambiguous and there are lots of thoughts to be had. And Rebecca Hall was very, I listened to some interviews with her, very clear about like this movie's ambiguous. I kind of wanted to start conversation. I don't really answer a lot of things. So if we say anything that sounds racist, just because some people in the movie are trying to figure out their race, too. So um, I want to say, before I hand it back to Eric, I think this is maybe the best live-action film I've seen of 2021 so far. Um, it's super interesting black-and-white cinematography. The music by Devante Hines is brilliant. Um, the acting is impeccable. It feels like I, I literally finished the movie and I was like, this feels like a, I just watched a novella. And then afterwards I looked it up and it is indeed a novella. Um, it just, everything is tight. Every moment matters. Uh, Eric, you have some initial thoughts on passing? Well, I was just going to say, um, it feels a little bit like a short, doesn't it? Yeah. It's around an hour, 40 minutes. So it, yeah, I know. I know it's like, you know, like short for like, you know, in that, in that instance, but like just, just the way it was filmed, framed, I don't know if it's because it, because it's also in black and white. Um, it felt like, I don't know. It felt like a 30 minute movie. Like, like as if it were like, I don't know. Like if you've ever seen shorts or, you know, they keep things tight, they keep things concise. Um, also the, the filming is, is just a little bit different. And for some reason, yeah, it doesn't feel like a major motion picture. Um, and in, in a lot of ways it's not, but, um, but yeah, I just kind of got this feeling that it was like, Oh, this is, this is pretty short for, for a film, but it also just feels like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that it's a novella because that has, the DNA of, of kind of what I was feeling in the, in the movie the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a subject I've never actually really even encountered before that I can think of. Um, and it's interesting that the whole movie uses this metaphor of a white woman or a black woman passing it for a white woman because of the advantages it can give her. Um, and then you see as the movie goes on, uh, our main character, Irene is also passing. Um, I still don't know quite how, and I think it is ambiguous on purpose um, what she's passing and she's whether she's passing as like she wants to be white, whether she's passing as lying about this domestic life that she wants. Maybe that's not what she really wants. Um, uh, you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, during the during the movie, they they say like you could be passing like you could be doing this so i think for me i thought that she was always playing black not white that was my thought oh yeah she is playing black uh the main character but yeah you wonder if she wants to pass for white i think she sees i think like definitely at the beginning of the movie we see her um passing off as white as she has been in the whole movie and and i think that um there was a point in the movie that she said um every once in a while I'll go into town i'm not always in this part of town and you could see her like really trying in that first bit in the movie um the way she talks the way she interacts with people the where what she dresses she dressed white going into town and like her clothing was white not just like she was dressing like a white and she even had that wide brimmed hat to almost like cover up her facial features that could give her away yeah it like veiled half her face um and she uh yeah she was like helping out somebody who like dropped something and they didn't like immediately recoil or whatever they were like oh thank you oh she's so nice um and you kind of get this idea it's just like this is clearly like 1920 something like this is like that era maybe earlier maybe later but it's it's around that time so it's pretty early on and um she's she's like going up to store clerks and like buying stuff and like they're like you know you could just tell by their tone of voice that they're not talking to a black person and it's just like is this some sort of like dystopian future where like black people are okay in this? And, and it's interesting because she was passing for white, for a white person and it totally makes sense. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, the, 
directorial choices are super interesting. The black and white, obviously. She wasn't able to get this movie made for years because studios kept saying you need to make it in color. And thankfully, Rebecca stuck to her guns and played the long game because this needed to be this needed to be in black and white. Um, and it's a four-three aspect ratio because she said, just like our uh, main characters feel like they are boxed in in some way. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it's 4.3, and actually they used this lens that um, blurred, like, the top, I don't know, sixth, fifth, and the bottom fifth of the frame, and it kind of, like, blurred into clear to even emphasize that even more, and it adds a lot of cool texture. Um, and I don't know how I feel saying this on the pod, but I'm going to say it anyway. There are some movies, I've watched quite a few, and there are less movies in the world directed by women. Um, and there are there is this art house... Um, woman director feel. There's uh, a director from Argentina called Lucretia Martel. Lynn Ramsey's another one. She made You Were Never Really Here. Um, and I feel uh, Claire Denis, the French one. There's something about this movie that if I didn't know who directed it, I would have watched it and said immediately, this is directed by a woman. And I can't quite nail down what it is. I think it's something with how they... Um, I think it's almost more sensual, and I don't mean that in like a sexual way, but it, it pays very close attention to sounds and um, certain sweeps of motion that, or even touches that I don't see in most movies by male directors, um, which I think plays right into what the story is trying to do with uh, uncovering these women's interior lives in a way that I haven't seen maybe ever and i was just mesmerized by it well i was about to say i think i think like also the perspectives are almost entirely from women like there are male characters in this movie but we don't see their sides of things like almost at all we don't follow them to work we don't follow their day pretty much the main character is the only one that we really follow like it is entirely on her at all times um which i thought was interesting and i think that that might also play into like um the female perspective of um I don't know. I maybe I'm maybe I'm cynical, but I don't I don't see too many male directors uh, doing something like that. No, I don't think they could pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they could do it well. Yeah. Um, so Claire comes into or yeah, Claire comes into Irene's life. Um, starts hanging out with her family. Uh, Irene's kids love Claire and seem more excited when she gets there than when uh, Irene comes home. Her husband uh, is very interested in her. Um, the director leaves it ambiguous as to whether there's anything going on there. Um, and this really messes with... It was ambiguous? It was ambiguous? Yeah, I really think so. Do you, do you not think so? I think it was pretty clear that they were saying that something... Uh, well, I guess that's the entire definition of ambiguity. But I, I, I think, like, they were saying that something w was probably going on between the two of them. Um, and, okay, <laughs> I could see where it would be ambiguous. But I think, like, it was pretty clear that he was not entirely happy with his marriage. Yeah, they're in a rough spot in the marriage. I actually listened to a, a panel interview, and Andre Holland, the actor who plays the husband, he's great, by the way. Um, he said that he thinks his character was um, a faithful husband who was there just in a rotten marriage, and he was just um, uh, interested by this woman. And I think the, there's a, one shot that really makes me think it's ambiguous. There is a shot where Irene comes down the stairs, and in the mirror she can see Claire and her husband talking in hushed voices, and they seem very close to each other, almost like they're whispering in each other's ears. But then she turns the corner, and they're not that close. So it's like the mirror was um, showing... Uh, was kind of warping how close they were. Uh, and it's almost like Irene's headspace was that's what she was, was being reflected back to her. She's just seeing that they are that close, but she's so uncomfortable with who she is and almost threatened by the freedom that Claire has in passing as a white woman that she's projecting her own insecurities onto her husband. Um, what do you think of that? <laughs> because I, I think that's, very smart <laughs> i think that's incredibly intelligent i did not i mean i i have to be honest i literally just saw this movie so i have a lot of fresh thoughts but i did not think uh or notice that so but that is incredible that is incredible that was my smartest observation so i'll, I'll not make many more 
No, no, no. You can continue on on that thought if you have more kind of like elaborating to do on on what that was doing. Why? Um, a question I've thought is why do you think um, Irene felt so threatened by Claire, who is passing as a white woman and seems very um, dissatisfied in that. Both of these women seem to say to each other that they wish they were more like the other. So why do you think Irene feels threatened by Claire? She's trying to have both worlds and she finds that um, you, that you can't, you can't have both. And one of my favorite quotes from this movie, and I thought it was incredibly, like it hit so hard when they said it, was when they were both in bed, Irene and Brian, and they were talking about the letter. And she is elaborating that she wishes she could be with her own people again and laugh with them again, and she feels so incredibly lonely, and she just wants um, to come back to that. And Irene is sitting there being like, this is so weird. She, she did it. She did what all black people want is to, to be white and to be respected. And that's, and that's not what all black people want, but the tone, and I want to make that very clear right (laughs) now, but the tone was that like, she, she achieved this thing at becoming white. And she says, this is the quote, they have to work so hard at getting back there. Why would they want to come back? Brian, if I knew that I'd know what race is. Irene, you think they'd be satisfied being white. Brian, rot. Who's satisfied being anything? And I was like, oh my God, that's insane. Like, I don't know if this is exactly what they're saying, but how it hit with me was that like black or white, we have to be satisfied with who we are because black people becoming white, not being satisfied. Like essentially what he, what Brian is saying is that like we as human beings cannot be satisfied and so it doesn't matter if they become white or not. Who's satisfied with anything that they are? Um, and I was just like, "Wow, that's so incredibly deep." That like, I I don't know. I, it just it just it just hit in a different way. That um, I, I I loved I loved that that exchange between the two of them in that bed. That that was a, that was a really that was a portion of it, but that was a really good exchange um, that they had. And she goes on to saying um, that she is satisfied. Um, she's satisfied with what she has and and the life that she has but i think to to go to go off your question i think that she is really not entirely happy with the fact that claire is trying to have both worlds and she can the fact that she can the fact that she can be white and she can be black i think irene's like no you have to choose because we all have to choose eric wow what a monologue a monologue worthy of the film passing (laughs) Um, no, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's, um, yeah, they are unsatisfied with their lives, and that's why the metaphor of passing is, whoever wrote this novel, I forget her name, uh, Nellie something, I think. But it's just such a brilliant metaphor for all of people, everybody. It's like, what are you um, passing as? What are you trying to fit your life into that you're not? Um, which can be like a little, and I don't want to get into like, be true to yourself and all that, but there are, but there, because, um, I think Shang-Chi has some things to say against that actually, but there is a sense where it's like, you are dishonest with yourself often and you are craving things that you can't have. And you have to decide whether those things you're craving are because you're insecure in who you are. Sometimes they're sinful things. It just depends. And it's just a very, it made me think a lot about like, what am I passing as? I think that broader metaphor is um, the ticket that gives us the ability to talk about something like this, (laughs) because I mean, it raises questions whether like two white guys should be, you know, breaking this film down in, in a sense um, or, or having some of these thoughts. But I think, I think you're right. I think it has, it's not, it's, I mean, it's at the, at the, in the forefront, this is about race and this is about, um, two people kind of like breaking down, you know, the issues surrounding that. But I think that 
you're right. I think it can be a broader metaphor for, you know, what are, because we are all passing for something, um, or not being true to ourselves about something, um, and to varying degrees of that. Um, but yeah, there, there was a, there was a portion of me that was just like, do we, do we talk about, (laughs) (laughs) like, can we talk about this like at all? Or like, do we have the, the license to be able to say anything and, and, and what value do our opinions have on this? But, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think we can. I think, um, I, especially when I listen to interviews, because I listen to a couple with Rebecca. Like, sometimes when I like get fascinated with a movie, like I was with this one, I haven't been this fascinated in a while. Um, I'll go and listen to see what, yeah, the people who made it, what their perspectives are. And I mean, Rebecca Hall is a British white woman. Um, she thinks her dad, I think it was her dad, not her mom. I think her dad was kind of like had a little bit of African blood in her. So he's like kind of passing, but not at the same time. So she's trying to reconcile that too, as part of it. Um, and she, yeah, very much speaks to anyone should be able to relate to this because of that wider metaphor. It's not a pure, I mean, race is the, the jumping off point and that's being interrogated, but it, it speaks universally as well. I want to go to a mega spoily in this movie. So if you're listening, please, uh, skip ahead a couple minutes. Um, very end of the movie. Yeah. Um, Claire, the woman who's passing, she has a scumbag of a husband, to say the least. Uh, super racist. Um, he, uh, when uh, Claire introduces Irene to him, Irene has to pass as white just because the husband wouldn't have anything to do with her anyway. Any, yeah, wouldn't have anything to do with her otherwise. And if he finds out that his um, wife is actually black, uh, this racist man is probably going to flip out. And that's what happens near the end. He comes to a party that they're at. Um, I, we should talk. We should have talked about these party scenes, but they're so fun. These Brooklyn jazz club parties. Um, they're at a party. Husband comes in. He scares Claire, who is right by a window. Irene is standing by her. He lunges at Claire. Irene puts her hand on Claire. And then the movie does not make it clear, but Claire may have pushed Irene out the, or Irene may have pushed Claire out the window to her death, or it may have been an accidental backing up. Um, what do you think happened there? Like, what is your interpretation of that? Uh, um, my immediate interpretation, because I'm fairly, uh, um, <laughs> Uh, basic when it comes to <laughs> <laughs> initial interpretations um, it did look like she based on based on what happened the movement based on her reactions based on her guilt afterwards like it's it's feigned it's 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 not feigned but it's um you're 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 led to believe like she's reacting when she goes down and and sees the body you're you're led to believe she's reacting because she's dead i think she's reacting the way she is because the reality has just sunk in that she killed her friend because she didn't want her husband to have an affair with this woman or believes that he had an affair with this woman or even if it was an emotional affair like he she she absolutely believed that you know he loved her in some way um and i think in that moment she knew what was coming you know he charged and i think she in that brief instance was like what if she wasn't around wouldn't life be a lot easier for me um and to be clear, this is super challenging because, like, there weren't really many points where Irene, like, hated Claire. Like, there wasn't, like, this, like, vitriol that was, like, very clear in the film. Like, she, I think she just was jealous or acted rashly. I think she just made, like, a complete mistake. But that's my belief is that she did it on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I think uh, she viewed Claire as a threat to her existence, a threat to the box that she had put herself in. Um, Yeah, with the potential affair, with just um, her having these feelings maybe crop up, like maybe I should pass. There's all these, there's this wealth that I could have if there's all these uh, limitations that life wouldn't have on me if I did pass. So she's, um, feels very, I think she feels very threatened by Claire and sees this as the opportunity to get rid of that threat. And um, there are a couple moments, I think, earlier in the film that kind of 
show that she's lying to the world or lying to herself like when she freaks out and drops the teapot uh, there's a moment where there's the guy in the club um, the white guy I forget what his name is that she talks to and her tone when she's talking to that guy is very different from when she's talking to everybody else she gets a little catty she gets a little attitude and she also kind of says something derogatory about Claire I think about how she's like I look at her. She's just doing whatever she wants. And there is a moment in the film where Claire turns to Irene and says, I'm different than you because I would hurt anybody to get what I want to get. And I think um, Irene is actually that person who would be willing to do that. And she does it at the end. So it's, um, I need to see it again. I don't, I don't have, my thoughts are still collecting after only one viewing because there's a lot to break down, but. Um, there was, there was one moment that I thought I was not on, well, there was many moments I think that I wasn't on Irene's side here. Um, but the conversation that she has at the dinner table, uh, the cleared out dinner table, um, at night, uh, with Brian, her husband about whether or not to tell her kids, their kids about the dangers of the world. And he has this very... They need to know. They should know. Um, we're preparing them um, to not do this is to not prepare them. And she's just like, no, no, let them be children. Let them, you know, and even and even the boy is like, I'm old enough to not be talked to like a child anymore. Um, and, you know, he tells his mom that and she's just kind of like left there being like, what? And I think she's just in this like place of denial. Like there's a lot of denial going on here and i just i was on the side of brian with this one like i wasn't on her side to be like no we shouldn't tell them about the n-word and like lynchings that happen like go don't go into detail and like shelter them you know cage them you know it's like we want to stop all this bad stuff from happening in our little bubble that we've created and he's like no we can't escape that we can't escape that we literally, like, no matter where we go, we cannot escape that. So we need to prepare our kids for that. I, yeah, I was totally on Brian's side for that, I felt. Anyway, did you have any thoughts on that or no? Right, yeah. yeah. Well, should we move on to Shenshi? Yeah. Just final thoughts on passing. Everyone, please go see it. It's on Netflix right now. Um, if it sounds boring, it's not. It's shot beautifully. Uh, the score is impeccable. The acting's as good as it gets. Uh, and you'll be thinking about it for a long time after. I don't think this is getting quite the hype it deserves. Um, I think this should be up for all the Oscars this year, honestly. So, Eric, why don't you introduce to us uh, Shang-Chi? Well, this movie uh, came out a few months ago, I would say. Um, not on... Uh, well, it, it came out in theaters. Um, didn't come out on Disney Plus until very recently. Um, well, I don't... Yeah, but I, was it was it for pay before? or I know it... Maybe, but it came out for free, um, as they sometimes do. They'll do a pay period and then release it for free. Um, and uh, this movie... Uh, I saw, I saw with a bunch of people, uh, I think CJ was there as well. And, um, yeah, it was just like, this movie was probably one of the more refreshing Marvel movies to watch since Black Panther for me. I felt like Black Panther and this movie just had such a direction, uh, uh, a road they were heading down um a tone and i felt like they killed it like it was it was fun it was funny um it felt like the action felt really great i was like okay marvel does you know kung fu let's see how this goes and it was actually pretty great um and like yeah i feel like there was only like a few weak moments in in the movie but like I just had like such a good time watching this movie and I would totally watch this movie again. Um, what were your thoughts? A regular listeners of the show know that I'm not the biggest Marvel fan. I think they overdo their CGI. I think the writing's bad. I just don't think they look good. I think the editing's awful, but guess what? I'm here to say something positive about a Marvel movie. No way. Shang-Chi was by far the best Marvel movie I've ever seen. Oh. It was like, it was way better. Um, really? The opening 
of this movie was the best thing I've ever seen in a Marvel movie. It was this martial arts wuxia face-off between Tony Leung, who's like one of the best actors ever. Um, I forget who he's fighting, his future wife. And they're like, she's guarding the entrance of this village, Talo, and they have this beautiful martial arts dance fight. And I was just like, they, they got that in a Marvel movie? And it's got this beautiful, colorful surrounding. I thought the action was overall pretty good. I think it waned as it went. It started more martial arts, and then it got a little too marvelly at the end. But I get why they did that to satisfy people. Um, so I loved all the martial arts. I thought the colors were really good. I thought the story was actually really good. Some interesting themes we can talk about. Um, and man, these magical monsters were the bomb. There was this cool little uh, fluffy dragon guy. There was a fox with like 10 tails. There were these lion dudes and the dragon. Um, the dragon was awesome. I would love to ride that dra that water dragon. I would love to be a part of that fight at the end where the dragons are fighting. So yeah, I really, actually, really liked Shang Chi. Okay. Finally, Marvel, you you did it. Hey. You did it. Hey. Here's here's um okay. the contradictions of a Marvel movie for you. You have a scene where they're on an airplane and there's a, the dumbest airline food joke that everyone's ever heard like a thousand times already. The worst, laziest writing ever, right? That happens. And then... Wait, what happens? That worst airline like, oh, do you want the chicken or do you want the vegetable? I want the vegetarian. Oh, we actually don't have the vegetarian. I'm like, I've heard that 50 times. It's dumb. It's not funny anymore. You're lazy, writer. <laughs> and then later, you've got the Ben Kingsley character from an Iron Man that I haven't seen or something where apparently he plays an Asian. And they're like, um, maybe we should correct our own cultural appropriation. And they make Ben Kingsley the freaking funniest character in a blockbuster I've seen in a while where he's this actor who is anyways um, what are your thoughts <laughs> what, what, what do you want to discuss about this movie because I have some things but I want to see what you want to talk about yeah I mean the Ben Kingsley stuff I think like some people are like watching Shenji be like who's this guy again like what, what, what was it oh Iron Man 3 oh yeah yeah oh oh okay and it was just kind of like this this bit that they went down and it it turned into like a you know he from the moment he's introduced to the to the end of the movie he's there it's not like the bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's this planet of the apes bit where he's talking about like man my life changed when i watched planet of the apes and i was like i didn't know apes could do that how'd they get him to do that and then i realized it was acting. The apes were acting. And it's the dumbest joke ever. But he played it so perfectly. I laughed so hard. Oh uh, yeah. That was that was that was a good time. For sure. I think there was I think there was a lot of laughs throughout this film. Did you know? Um that there was a water dragon in this uh in this movie and Aquafina played a water dragon in Ryan the Last Dragon. They did, looked similar. They looked similar. No, no, they did. <laughs> they did? Like the dragon and Aquafina. Yeah, I think the dragon and Raya kind of looked similar to this dragon. It was that really long, yeah. uh, wavy. They got their dragon animation down. I'm telling you, I loved it. Yeah, I think I think there was a few a few points in this where like you know, the like the CGI was a, a little bit overwhelming, and you know we're in this we're in this like magical place, magical like creatures and even landscape is like you know probably not real so it's just like there's only so much that you can do i get it but that whole like last sequence it just felt very uh intangible to me um and uh not to mention the fact that aquafina became a master archer in like a day but that was that was cool um but i just yeah i thought there was uh, like the the chemistry between the two was so good and like that scene at the dinner table with the mom and the grandma <laughs> it's just we'll get there for sure but i had some uh i had some chinese friends be like man that was so real uh that that whole interchange <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I just, uh, I, I mean the, the fight scenes in this were so good. Like I was, I was, uh, I think it was, um, uh, winter soldier or something like that. They had a fight scene between, uh, Captain America and Bucky 
and it was just so well choreographed that I like the whole time they were fighting I was like mesmerized I was like watching their hands they were like dropping knives catching them like flipping around like doing so it was just like oh my gosh this is like incredible choreography this is so well done and you can really it really comes through in Shang-Chi and you can you just have like such a such a fun time with the world that they're making and like the whole like underground fight scene uh, section oh my god it's just like this is great like this is so and they're bringing in like people from Doctor Strange and and uh, you just kind of like interweaving the Marvel Universe without it being too campy so um, yeah I think I think it was just like real tight real tight I feel like there was like two halves like the story just changes uh, halfway through even though it's it's kind of a through line about the rings Um, so I think I, I don't know, maybe some pacing issues, but I, I, I'm not being picky about this. I had such a fun time. What were, what were the things that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, overall, I agree with you on the action. The martial arts choreography is great. That bus, bus action scene was really good. Just for your pure, for some pure martial arts, even though he's facing a one-armed, jacked Stephen Furtick. That's <laughs> what I thought he looked like. <laughs> yeah. With a sword for an arm. <laughs> Blade. <laughs> Blade. Yeah, we liked Blade, and uh, I want to honor Tony Long, one of the greatest actors ever. He's in, in the mood for love and twenty forty six and all kinds of stuff. He played the dad. I thought thematically they did something very interesting okay. that I think um, relates to the uh, wider Christian culture. That I would say. Um, we tend to be a part of, which was the dad character, um, was drawn. Well, he had this power, right? With these 10 rings. Um, and he sets them aside because he falls in love with this woman. She dies because of his past. And then he wants to break into this, um, secret village. He wants to go to this gate because he believes that the secret village where uh, his wife came from, they're trapping her there and hiding her behind this gate and the reason he knows this is because he hears her voice but what he doesn't realize is that the voice he thinks he's hearing is actually the voice of a dangerous massive dragon with lots of tentacles <laughs> that uh, wants to come and destroy the world and I think that is something that we run into a lot where people with good motives often want something so bad that they will assign uh, something akin to the voice of God or sometimes literally the voice of God to this voice that they're hearing or to this urge that they're hearing um, that is fully disconnected from real life or from truth. Um, and they will do anything to listen to this voice to get what they want, even though they can never really get it. And in the meantime, they're dividing family, um, they're dividing relationships. Um, and I think that was actually a very prescient warning that they threw in there that I think, I mean, in the Christian community, it, it manifests in the voice of God and other communities. I'm sure it manifests in different ways, almost like staying true to yourself. What if you're, what if staying true to yourself is listening to this voice to go unlock this dragon with lots of tentacles that wants to destroy the world. So it's like, are you grounded in truth? Or are you being deceived by these things that you want so bad, but they aren't actually there. And then you divide a bunch of people and burn villages and kill people over it. <laughs> Am I reading too much into this? No, 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 no. Just like the ending was uh, pretty great. <laughs> well, in the movie, they kill people. In life, it does. I mean, sometimes it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crusades? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Children's Crusade didn't end too well. Um, <laughs> it all got sold into slavery. But um, no, I think, I think, I, I, I mean, I didn't think of that parallel before. And I didn't think, uh, yeah, I didn't. Um, I mean, it's interesting because, like, he he stays true to what he wanted to do to the very end. In the very end, he regrets what he did. He knew, he, he said, like, I, I, I don't remember what he said, but it's, it's like he, in that moment, realized what he had done and that it was all wrong and for nothing. And if he was going to go out, he would help go out helping his son. Um, and I feel like up until up until the very end, like his son was also just like trying to help his dad. 
Like he didn't, he didn't want to like murder him or like, you know, like this wasn't like a Vader situation where it was, you know, like I must eliminate him at all costs. It was like, he does say that at one point, but I think he doesn't follow through on that. Well, I think he realizes how complex it all is and realizes that like he is just following this voice and he is, his son knows that it will be the, it will be the end of him. Um, and so he's just desperately trying to get him to see the error of his ways. Actually, I go back on my metaphor. It's a lot like Luke and Vader, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. because Luke is constantly trying to get Vader to see that he has good in him um, to his very end. So, yeah, I think I think that that was I think that was beautiful. I think that it was it was refreshing not having like a bad guy who was like altogether bad. Um, I think that he had some pretty evil intentions but ultimately he loved his wife he loved his family he gave up the rings um and when that crashed down on him he just became obsessed and you know some men turn to drink some men turn to other things um that destroy them and his obsession that led him to his end was you know following this voice and it was just like it was all fake. It was all a farce. So, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's so hard um, to help those you love or who can't, who can't see it. And you're trying so hard. It's like they do so many things to try to get them to see it. They tell them the truth. They show them things. These little dragons, like these little like clues that even when he's punching this gate, these little dragons are finding their way out. Like, dude, you're, she's not back here. Look at these terrible things that are happening. Is this, is this fruit not showing you the things that are coming from what you're doing? Not showing you that you're, you're maybe all wrong. Um, and yeah, and yeah, sometimes it's not until they're confronted with the very uh, tentacly dragon that <laughs> they're able to get out of it. And I think if if that's a metaphor, it's, you know, that's the moment where the person hurts those closest to him. And I think, like, in the real world, someone who chases something to a destructive end usually hits rock bottom when those he loves are hurt, when those he loves are either physically injured or emotionally injured beyond repair. And that's when they have that sobering moment of realization where they're like, what have I done? And I think that dragon was that moment for him where he was just like, this was not great. And I've made a terrible error here. So love it. Same director as short term 12. So he may have some, uh, insights into, you know, psychology, counseling, therapy, all of that. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. I, I was lukewarm on it, but I thought the, um, like what it was trying to get across was good. At the time, I was in residential working with kids, and so it was very prescient for me. And I even showed my coworkers at a training the video, and then we showed it to kids in 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 the units and stuff. And and I don't know. I, I think it had I think it had some powerful messages, and definitely kind of like had some relatable material for what I was doing. But um, yeah, I you know it, I just I, I thought it was I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I thought like I don't know. It's difficult to really critique it because it's it's a bit of a snapshot film it's like this is what's happening in these people's lives in this moment and the the come like the the come away message is not really anything it's like like i don't like if i had to think about it i don't know what i would say the come away for for that film was but i thought it was pretty good but um yeah same director as that movie um i would like to ask if you could have one of the creatures in this film as a pet, which one do you think you would take and why? Uh, definitely the lion, like the dragon lion. They had a they had a magical creature that was essentially like those those giant paper lion dragons that that uh, run through the streets and that need ten people to kind of like some people are like walking and they're the spine and one person is the head. It looked exactly like one of those, but it was like an actual creature, um, and it wasn't as long. It was like the the it was like a giant giant lion type type thing. Um, but that would be dope to like ride around on and like you know intimidate people who are like messing with me, or um, maybe he just kind of like comes out of the shadows when I'm like being mugged or something. 
Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty. Pre- the the other one would be pretty useless. Like that little puff guy, who who was actually in the, like the furball. Like, what does he do? That furball was awesome, dude. You cuddle with him. Yeah, yeah, okay, but what does he do? He has like wings that don't fly, right? Does he have wings? He has wings, but he tells the Ben Kingsley character how to go through the bamboo maze so that they can get into the secret temple. Yeah, but he didn't have a language. Like, he was just making noises and Ben Kingsley was understanding him. And I was like, how long has Kingsley been with this animal? <laughs> Listen, if you like cuddling, I get why you would go with Morris, the whatever that thing was. If you like just animals that look beautiful, I'd get why you'd want the white fox with ten tails. Everyone would like a white fox with ten tails. If you're Eric and you kind of look like a lion, I get why you'd want the dragon line thing but if you say anything other than a massive giant water dragon do you want as a pet you could ride around anywhere you want you're wrong you just are it's a cool it's a cool dragon it's a maybe it's a cooler dragon than falcor and that's saying a lot so i would definitely have whatever that dragon's name is um i would take uh that one um i think the 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 white Fox with ten tails is an actual Chinese lore uh, animal, I believe. Yes, it is. Yeah, I remember seeing it in an animated short, um, but I can't remember which one. Uh, it might have been Love and Robots or something like that. They had, or no, it was something else. But they had the that actual like I remember seeing it in something else. It was animated. And then I saw it in, in this movie and I was like, what the heck? They either were like drawing from things or these creatures were actual mythical creatures that have been in their like stories and, you know, myths and lore for thousands of years. And they just kind of like, what if they, what if there was like a village, like a place where they all existed? Like they were all real. And I think that's so cool. I think that's like such a, such an interesting, um, uh, thing to do with that because like you know we all have like mythical things that don't exist and it's like that's basically like ireland is like f- where the fairies exist and where all like the trolls are and like all that that's their like cultures you know stuff but like yeah it was just kind of really cool to see all these magical creatures all in one place um but i was like oh, i noticed some of these from from other things that other people have done Love it. I love Asian magical creatures. All right, you ready for you ready for a rapid fire round? Yes. These are going to be either or questions, and I'd like a brief sentence as to why when you answer the question. Okay. Number one, blade for an arm or dragon scale armor? Blade for an arm. Multi-purpose. <laughs> Number two, would you rather hang out with Aquafina's character or the sister? Aquafina, 100%. Dude, the sister runs a martial arts ring. You're wrong. Would you rather... Um, Use the ten rings as if they were swirling around you, or use the ten rings when they are on your arms. Uh, definitely on uh my arms. Uh, no, no comment. Would you rather tear apart a bus, or would you rather um, um, would you rather tear apart a tentacly dragon with an arrow? Arrow. Would you rather? Um, I'm running out. <laughs> I know there's probably more I could ask. <laughs> would you rather oh um would you would you rather go visit visit the village of Talo for a day or would you rather have that cool thing where they put the pendants in the dragon's eyes and there is that cool water feature or would you rather have that forever oh, oh god that, <laughs> that's not easy that's not easy uh I would have the village for a day and keep it in my mind forever. There you have it. Everyone go visit Talo. <laughs> do you do you have do you have anything to say about that scene with the grandma? <laughs> like I don't know, I just felt like that was an incredible exchange of like between like someone I feel like I feel like if I'm not Chinese, I'm not going to understand that scene. No, I think if I think if you've either seen enough Chinese movies or like you just know from friends like we know people and it's like this is exactly what they describe their experiences have been like so I think it does it does hit it on the head where she's like you know there's a disappointment because they're not 
where the parents want them to be in life yet. And they're like, whatever, grandma. I'm like, I'm American. I'm trying to do my thing. I'm sorry. I don't live up to your level yet, but I'm doing my best. I know you're trying to shame me. Um, but they, that's tough. You can internalize that. Was this better than Mulan? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah, it was better than Mulan. (laughs) Not the animated, but it was better than that live action Disney plus fiasco. Um, Mulan had so much potential, didn't it, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> can we have a word? Of, can we have a moment of silence for Mulan? There you have it. Um, Eric, do you have anything else to say about Shang Chi? I really don't. It was so fun. It's on Disney Plus. If you don't have Disney Plus, boohoo. Yeah, go watch it on Disney+. Plus. I'm not a Marvel guy, and even I liked it. So it's got something for everybody out there. Uh, If you haven't seen any wuxia films or martial arts films, I would highly suggest go watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Go watch 2015's The Assassin, which we have an episode on. Uh, Maybe 1994's Ashes of Time. There's a lot of great movies out there you can go watch. King Who's A Touch of Zen from the 70s, which basically invented the genre. I mean, come on. All right, I want you to rank. I want you to rank our films in order of worst to best. All too well, passing in Shang Chi. What do you recommend to the people? Worst to best. Whatever you want. What do you recommend to the people? Um, uh, the Taylor Swift is last. Um, uh, uh, oh my gosh. I feel like I had more. F- I <laughs> putting passing and Shang-Chi <laughs> next to each other are so different. They're so so different. I feel like passing was a better movie. I had more fun at Shang-Chi. Uh, that's that's my recommendation. But um, I think the short film uh, was just okay. I mean, it takes fifteen minutes. If you don't have fifteen minutes, uh, what the hell are you doing with your life? So. Yeah, you have 15 minutes, you don't know what to do, go watch a cultural phenomenon that is Taylor Swift and her music video all too well. Uh, The songs are good. I mean, I love Shang-Chi, so if you're looking for a good time, watch Shang-Chi, but if you're really wanting to watch some cinematic art, a modern masterpiece, it's um, not getting enough love it deserves, but in 20 years, we're still going to be talking about it. That's Rebecca Hall's passing. Go watch that right now. It's only an hour and 40 minutes, so you don't have to, maybe not even, might just be an hour and a half. Go watch it on Netflix right now. Uh, next week, I don't know if the snobs are going to be back or not. It might just be Eric and I again. They're kind of all over the place at this moment in time. So hopefully we'll watch something cozy. But until then, uh, we should have a catchphrase. I don't know. We have a catchphrase? Cut a little bit of fire. I don't know. <laughs> get your high, get your cocoa, and the chat is side fire. <laughs> all right. We'll see you guys later. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> Oh, that was great. That was great.